The Electronic Intifada. Intifada. Intifada Electronic. Intifada Electronica. This is the Electronic Intifada Podcast. In Oakland, I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman. You're listening to the Electronic Intifada podcast. Over the last few weeks, Israel-aligned organizations have been castigating the Movement for Black Lives and its recently released policy platform for its strong support of the Palestinian-led boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement and the platform's reference to U.S. complicity in what they explicitly call Israel's genocide and apartheid against the Palestinian people. Along with the Anti-Defamation League and leading Jewish communal organizations, the president of the liberal Zionist group J Street, Jeremy Ben-Ami, excoriated the platform and shamed the movement for black lives for its use of language. Ben-Ami wrote in the Jewish Daily Forward that although his group does not engage in advocacy or work related to issues of domestic policy, it condemned the Movement for Black Lives platform for the, quote, truly unfortunate and highly counterproductive uses of extreme and hyperbolic language in relation to Israel. The platform's use of the word genocide, Ben Ami asserted, is outrageously incorrect and deeply offensive. In addition, the American Jewish Committee, a right-wing Israel lobby group, condemned the Movement for Black Lives statement as, quote, anti-Semitic and claimed that it, quote, libels Israel. Despite these claims, there is a long history of human rights scholarship and legal analysis that supports the assertion that Israel is in fact committing genocide, says the Center for Constitutional Rights. CCR's longtime president, the late great Michael Ratner, himself argued that Israel's conduct toward Palestinians since 1948 constitutes a systematic process of incremental genocide as defined by international law. Today, we're joined by Catherine Frankie, board chair at CCR and a law professor and director of the Center for Gender and Sexuality Law at Columbia University. In addition to her work at Columbia, she works regularly in Palestine, most recently serving as an academic mentor for the human rights faculty at Al-Quds University in East Jerusalem and sits on the steering committee of the Academic Advisory Council of Jewish Voice for Peace. Frankie authored an in-depth paper detailing the legal perspective on the term genocide and its application towards understanding Israel's policies in Palestine. It's on CCR's website, titled The Genocide of the Palestinian People, an International Law and Human Rights Perspective. Professor Catherine Frankie, thank you so much for being with us today on the Electronic Intifada podcast. It's my great pleasure. So if you could start by talking about why you and CCR published this nine-page document on the term genocide and its application toward what Israel has been doing in Palestine for 70 years from an international law perspective, what exactly was the impetus for publishing this? Well, we felt it was a, a, a mainly an act of solidarity with the movement for black lives when um, they included the term genocide within a, a large platform. Um, discussing a number of issues, including the um, parallels between racism in the United States and racism in the Israeli-Palestinian context, um, there was such enormous backlash against them, ugly backlash for using the term genocide. We felt as human rights lawyers, it might be appropriate to just clarify the record that this was nothing new, um, that in, uh, that the term genocide had been applied uh, by human rights activists, lawyers, scholars, um, uh, both inside law and inside other disciplines for many, many years. And they were certainly within that tradition by using that term in this context. So there was nothing unusual about it. And uh, why do you think that in this instance, Israel lobby groups were motivated uh, all at once to condemn the platform and act as if it had never been applied to Israel's historic and current policies ever before? 
Well, I, this is not unusual. I think the, the most ardent defenders of, of uh, Israeli state policy are offended by any criticisms of the state um, and by any suggestion that the state of Israel violates international law. Um, uh, and, of course, Israel and some parts of the American or U.S. government are the only um, major actors who deny the fact that the occupation itself is illegal, uh, the wall is illegal, uh, detentions are, are illegal under international law. There, you know, there are many aspects of the occupation um, and the treatment of um, Palestinian citizens within the state of Israel that uh, raise very serious human rights uh, problems. Um, and even the suggestion that the state of Israel may be committing uh, human rights violation is almost always taken in a somewhat reactionary way as a form of anti-Semitism. And, of course, a criticism of a state is not the same thing as a criticism of an ethnic or religious group. Uh, as a legal scholar and as a professor of law at one of the world's top law schools, can you explain the legal definition of genocide, uh, the various ways in which it's carried out, and how it correctly applies to Israel's ongoing colonization of Palestine? Well, so you've asked a very um, difficult question. Um, genocide uh, as a term was coined in 1944 by a Jewish-Polish legal scholar, Raphael Lemkin, in his writings having to do with the treatment of Jews in Europe, of course. And he had a much more um, capacious or expansive notion of what counted as genocide as a social or political matter. And as he described it, it refers to a coordinated plan aimed at destruction of the essential foundations of the life of national groups so that, so that these groups wither and die like plants that have suffered a blight. And, and what I think is important to note about that definition is that it's, not, it, it's much broader than what our commonplace understanding of genocide is, which is, I think, reflected in some contemporary context like, um, uh, like the Nazi extermination of Jews, certainly during World War II, but also in Rwanda um, and a number of other contexts where um, the actual mass killings of people took place, um, which certainly does fall within both the political and legal um, uh, uh, term of genocide. But Genocide can also be uh, applied to the um, destruction of a people or a national group um, as a viable group, and that can be both with their um, being driven from a land or the rendering of their language um, no longer legal, legal, or just the destruction of their kind of national identity. And that's that's the that's the claim uh, made by some Palestinians that what the state of Israel has done is try to deny the the very existence or presence of Palestinians in the area that was Mandate Palestine before 1947. And uh, in the paper, you lay out uh, the example of the 2014 attacks on Gaza. How do those 51 days of attacks, um, for example, which killed more than 2,200 people, including 551 children and thousands injured, you know, the displacement of 100,000 people, how does the term genocide apply to those attacks specifically? Well, under there is a convention on the prevention and punishment of the crime of genocide um, that even the United States has has signed on to, and those acts um, that took place in Gaza 
um, and some would argue have taken place over a number of different campaigns, not just the one um, uh, uh, in, uh, in 2014, but that those acts amount to, as the convention defines it, the deliberate infliction on a group of conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. So by targeting hospitals, schools, housing, um, sewer systems, water systems, by rendering life untenable in Gaza um, through these military campaigns, there are some who, who have held um, that these, these assaults incrementally have amounted to a form of genocide by destroying the possibility of collective or national life in Gaza. Well, finally, Professor Frankie, how can international human rights lawyers hold a state like Israel accountable for the crime of genocide? And, and you know, what have been the obstacles to holding Israel responsible? Well, the International Criminal Court has jurisdiction over these sorts of charges, and um, uh, the Palestinians are pursuing a number of avenues through the ICC um, to to raise the human rights violations or international legal violations that have been committed by the uh, by the Israeli state. Um, genocide isn't always at the top of the list. Um, uh, very often, the term that some activists working in Palestine um, have used is persecution, um, which is another form of collective punishment um, uh, that's that's um, prohibited by international law. Um, uh, but there are other advocates that would prefer the term genocide and have over time. Um, uh, actual genocide charges have not been brought to the ICC by the Palestinians, um, but they certainly could. Um, uh, it would be within the jurisdiction of the ICC. And I think it's a, just, I just want to make it clear that, that CCR's statement didn't make the case that genocide has been committed by the Israelis towards the Palestinians. Uh, that's a legal conclusion that um, we weren't interested in arguing at this point. Um, uh, instead, what we wanted to claim is that the, that the charge of genocide is one that has a history um, among respected jurists, respected advocates, and respected scholars, and that the uh, Movement for Black Lives uh, platform was not in any way out of step or biased in, um, in raising uh, the G word, if you will, in this context. Professor Catherine Frankie, you're the board chair at the Center for Constitutional Rights and Law Professor at Columbia University, where you're also the director of the Center for Gender and Sexuality Law. Um, and before I let you go, what, how can people use this, this statement that CCR uh, put up and, and where would people even begin to start? Well, I think they should read it, and they think they should understand what the term genocide actually means, and it has a number of meanings, uh, one of which is how it's defined within the Convention on Genocide, um, but it has political meanings, um, as I said, dating back to 1944 from Jewish legal scholars uh, um, that are actually much broader. So I think learning that history is important to understand how today's charges uh, fit within that history. Uh, and to understand how the facts on the ground in Israel-Palestine uh, may suggest the relevance of a, of a genocide claim in that context. All right. Well, we're going to put that statement authored by you for the Center for Constitutional Rights up on the Electronic Intifada. Professor Catherine Frank, you thank you so much for being with us today on the Electronic Intifada podcast. It's my pleasure to talk to you. Be well.
that's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. For news, information, cultural features and reviews, and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net, where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast, and if you're listening on iTunes, support the Electronic Intifada podcast by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening.